you know, so this is the last Sunday of 2020 and probably for a lot of us, it's been probably one of the toughest years of our lives. I know for me, I think it's one of the toughest years of my life. We talked about all that in the past few few weeks. You know, we've been praying for that, you know, this whole year. And so, you know, there's, I don't really have to talk too much about that. But, you know, today, is, as it's the last Sunday of the year, I really want to share a message with you guys today, you know, that hopefully could make some kind of sense out of this year, you know, to give us some understanding that might give us comfort or that might give us peace about everything that went on. But I'll be honest with you, you know, I thought about it for weeks and I just can't really come up with anything very satisfying. You know, I don't know because I don't have answers, you know, to a lot of the questions that we might be asking. If I'm very honest with you, too, I still have questions, you know, that I want answered. You know, I still have questions myself, especially as I reflect over this year. You know, on one hand, and on one hand, you know, I'm a very simple guy. If you tell me, Eddie, I know it's all, it's really tough. I know there's a lot of ugly stuff that's going out in the world. You just have to trust in God. God is in full control. And if you tell me that, I'll be like, you know, you're right. I will. And I will. And I'll trust that because I'm, I'm that simple. But on the other hand, maybe you're like me too. But on the other hand, I still have questions that I want answered. You know, there's another part of me that questions things a lot more deeply. And I I get a little dissatisfied by Christians that just kind of tell me just trust in God when things like pandemics and sufferings and viruses and death go on. And and I want to ask the questions and I want to be satisfied with an answer that's a lot more deep. I mean, surely there must be something more, right? Surely there must be something that God can give us some kind of insight into God can give us some kind of wisdom upon, something that God can share with us that might even blow us away, that might give us some insight as to what's going on. And there is, okay? There is, okay. So, you know, this year, what I did was I turned to wisdom literature a lot in the Bible. You know, wisdom literature in the Bible exists Because it wrestles with the question of this. How do you live wisely amidst all the challenges of life? And I think that's a really appropriate thing, especially for this year, don't you think? And, you know, wisdom literature in the Bible basically is made up of three books. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And so I decided to start out with the longest one, which is Job. Okay, and let me just tell you what that's about really briefly. You know, Job was a man who went through a lot of suffering. He was a man that had everything, but because God allowed it, everything, he also lost everything. And so when Job goes to God and he asks, why? Why did you do all that? God answers Job this way. He says, you know, who are you to ask me that question? I'm God, and I can do anything that I want. And so if I want to take it away, I can take it away and I can do whatever you wish. And quite honestly, that's all you need to know. And when I read that, I was like, oh, man, what's Job going to say? <laughs> you know, I know what I would say if God said that to me. But surprisingly, you know, even though the answer is pretty confronting by God, he doesn't even answer. He doesn't even answer Job's question. What's surprising to me about the book of Job is Job hears that answer and says, yeah, you're right. And the book ends. Isn't that amazing? Right? He was totally satisfied. And, you know, I walked away reading that book. I walked walked away reading that book, and I was like, wow, it's so cool that there was a man thousands of years ago like Job who loved God so much 
that he's totally satisfied with that answer. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. But then on the other hand, I wanted more. I wanted to understand why God would do something like that. I wanted to understand, you know, uh, why God was like that. I wanted things to make more sense. I wanted to make sense of it all, actually, not just this year, but that whole Job story. I need, and my argument is that I need what I need, and I need to know what I need to know because I need to know in order to have more faith in God. I mean, the more I understand, the more I can have faith in God, right? And I need to know more because I need to know so that I can continue to obey God, especially during these trying times. And at least that's what I think. And maybe you're like that too. But there was another question that plagued me about this book of Job when I read this book. And that was this. If there was a man that existed in history like Job, that was so satisfied. You know, he had all these questions, the questions of life, the questions of existence. And he's asking these things to God. And God simply says, well, I am who I am. And that's all you need to know. And Job was completely satisfied. If there was a Christian that was really like that in this world, why can't I be like that? Why can't I just be satisfied with God alone? Just having God. Why is it that I need to still have my questions answered when Job, who lost everything, I didn't lose everything, but Job did. But yet he was so satisfied with just being with God. Why can't I be like that? You know? So I turned to Proverbs. And the main theme of this book of Proverbs is what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I hope you, you probably have heard that at one, time, at one time in your life. It is. That's the whole theme of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that whole book is proven in the story of Job. He was a man who truly feared the Lord so much that he was satisfied with him. Right? He feared God so much that even when God didn't answer Job's questions to life, it was enough for him because he feared God. He was wise. But that still doesn't answer my question. How do you become a man like that if you're not one of those men today or a woman? Right? And so I turn to this book of Ecclesiastes. Have anyone who here has read the book of Ecclesiastes in your life? Exactly. Not many of us, right? You got to read this book, though. It has quickly become one of my favorite books. In all of Scripture, big phrase, big statement. There's 66 to choose from, but this has quickly become, you know, maybe my top three or my top four. And the reason why is because it's honest. It's very human, you know. What we, and what we get in this book is a journey. It is a journey of a wise man trying to make sense of life. Right? It is a journey of this wise man trying to find and figure out what life is all about. And through that journey, we get to understand why he comes to this pinnacle of conclusions, if I can say it that way, when he shares it with us. Okay, so I'm going to explain the book of Ecclesiastes to you a little bit. The book of Ecclesiastes is written very interestingly. There's actually a narrator to the book. Yes, there's a narrator to the book. And this narrator, what he's doing is he is commenting on the reflections and experiences of the teacher, which is Ecclesiastes in Greek. Okay, that's where we get the word Ecclesiastes. It means the teacher. So there's this wise teacher who basically is examining all of life, and he examines his experiences. He examines his observations. And so, you know, throughout the book, what we get are his stories. We get his thoughts from a very human-centric view. 
Okay, and that's very, very important. You know, he uses reason, he uses observation, and he uses experience to come to some of his conclusions about life. And the reason why I say it that way is I, I specifically want to point out that he doesn't use scripture. He does not use godly principles. And because of that, he comes to some very unorthodox and some very disturbing conclusions about life if you read this book. Okay, But once again, we need to understand that the book of Ecclesiastes is a journey. Is this man's journey to understanding. And it's this teacher's search for the meaning of life and for the meaningfulness in life. And so what he decides to do throughout this book is he examines the major aspects of life itself. Let's talk about work. Let's examine what that's all about and the meaning behind it. Let's, you know, let's, let's talk about our hobbies and our passions and our desires and the way God might have made us in that way, right? Let's talk about family. Let's talk about relationships. Let's talk about pleasure, wealth, music, time, justice, oppression, friendship, government, leadership, basically everything that life is all about, he examines. And here's the conclusion that he comes to. He says, after examining all this stuff, to invest our lives in any of those things on that list is absolute foolishness. (laughs) Right? That's him. And the reason why he says so It's because none of those things will last. That's what he says. They will all be gone when you die. But what what about while we're living? Well, he says, yeah, even while you're living, quite honestly, it's a waste of your life to invest yourselves in things like work, friendships, government, fighting against justice and oppression, all these things, right? I mean, so what if you work and make money? So what if you're rich or you're poor? So what if the government is good or bad or you invest yourself in something you like or dislike or believe or not believe? It's all meaningless because none of it lasts and it's all gone when you die. Do you guys love this book? (laughs) Uh, It's pretty grim, isn't it? But on the other hand, he's just speaking very frankly, isn't he? And he's kind of pretty spot on. But here we go. He actually takes it up another notch. And this is what he says. He says that life itself, in his reflection, is unpredictable, and it's a total enigma. There is no rhyme or reason why certain things happen in life, whether things are good or good things or tragic things, tsunamis, regime changes, pandemics, evil, death. They happen, and many times they happen in the most unpredictable moments in our lives, the most unexpected times. So he concludes, what's the point of investing yourselves into things that you think are so important today when they won't even be here tomorrow, right? What's the point of investing yourself into things that you think are so important today when life itself is filled with unpredictability, mystery, and despair? Is that even more grim? Yes, it is. Right? And I know you're, thinking, you're sitting there thinking, wow, if that really is scripture, then I should just quit uni now. What's the point in going to uni? You know, I should just quit my job right now. You know, What's the point of being married or having a relationship? There's no point. Either that or you're thinking, wow, if this is Eddie Bang's favorite book, then he's a totally messed up guy. <laughs> right? But it is pretty grim, I admit. 
But once again, it's a journey. And that's why you need to be really careful when you study Ecclesiastes. You know, you can't just pull verses out of this book and thinking that this is from Scripture, so therefore this is what God thinks. No, because a lot of those verses are what human beings think. You know, you gotta be, you gotta be really careful. And you gotta understand that this book of Ecclesiastes is a big journey. And you gotta take this thing on as a whole. Okay. So I'm very careful with taking verses out of Ecclesiastes and preaching them because it may not be right. You know, it may not be good. So let me just t- cut to the chase. Let me tell you why I love this book. The teacher comes to two very profound conclusions. And it's these conclusions that have the potential to really change our lives. Okay, here we go. Here is the first conclusion that the teacher comes to. He says this. He says, to try and live life by human reasoning is absolutely foolish. Right? To try and live your life using your own reasoning is absolutely foolish. And this is what he means. To allow your experiences or your ability to reason and understand or to allow, to allow your observations about life to teach you what life is all about is absolutely foolish. Right? But that's what we do all the time, don't we? If I experience something, that's what life is. If I learn something, that's what life is. But for him to say that what you learn and what you observe and what you experience, and if you, if you use those things to teach you what, about what life is about, that's absolute foolishness. What is he talking about then? Because that's what we do 24-7, don't we? That's what we do. That's how we operate. But he says, no, that's absolutely foolish. And this is the reason why he says it's foolish. He says this, and this is what he argues, and I'm kind of doodling down this whole book into this, these few phrases. He says, since life itself is an enigma, is a mystery. Since life itself is filled with despair that we struggle to understand each and every single day. We don't understand it. We don't grasp it. To try and understand life when we ourselves are enigmas and filled with despair is absolutely foolish. That's what he means. Do you see? We will never truly understand life. And the reason why he states is very, very simple and it makes total sense. The reason why we won't understand life is because we didn't create it. We didn't design it, you know? And that's the reason why. You know, we didn't design this world. We didn't design mankind. So to think that you can understand the purpose and the meaning of life itself, to think that you can understand the purpose of meaning of even your own life through your own experiences, through your own understanding and through your own reason and observations is absolutely foolish. Do you guys get that? Do you guys get the argument? There is this very famous parable, I think it's an Indian parable, of five blind men who had never seen an elephant before in their lives. You guys know this story? And so they basically assign a different part to each blind man, and they, all they can do is touch. And all of a sudden the guy that's touching the trunk of the elephant says, oh, it's obvious, an elephant is one big snake. But the guy touching you know, the, the side or the ear is saying, no, it's not. An elephant is one big fan, like an elephant's ears, right? But the guy's like, no, the guy touching the trunk, is, or sorry, the guy touching the leg of an elephant is like, no, an elephant is a tree trunk. And the guy touching the tusk of the elephant is like, no, you guys are all wrong. An elephant is like a spear, a very pointy, dangerous spear. Do you see the comedy behind that, that story? Life is huge. 
mankind, existence, it's huge. To think that we can understand what it's all about by our limited experiences and knowledge is ridiculous. So to conclude that we understand what life is all about because we experience one tiny aspect of it is absolute folly. We are all just blind men trying to figure out what an elephant is. And no matter how much you touch it over and over and over again, you'll never get that picture. And that folly, which the Bible calls folly, to think like that, to think, to approach life that way, the Bible says that folly, as Proverbs and Ecclesiastes declares, will only lead you into deeper folly. That's the conclusion. Okay? So, that's the first point. What's the second point? The conclusion after all that is this. So here's the second point. Ecclesiastes 12.1. Here's the point. Remember your creator. That's it. The first three words. Remember your creator. Now, that phrase, remember your creator, in English is kind of like a letdown. Because if you study it in Hebrew, what that phrase, remember your creator, is saying is this. And if I can say it in this way, this is, this is the fleshed out definition. It's this. Let your whole perspective on life be informed and transformed by the view that God created everything. Isn't that totally different? Let your whole perspective on life be informed and transformed by the view that God created everything. What does that mean? It means that it is only through the creator's eyes does life and can life have its meaning. This is the equivalent to Proverbs where it says that the main teaching is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Since God created and designed the world and our lives Our pursuit or any pursuit in understanding what we are about or what life is all about or what the world is all about has to have God as its origin. Do you guys get that? Because he's the one that created it. He's the one that designed it. It is only when we begin to see life itself around us, the world around us, and our lives through God's eyes that we begin to understand their God-given purpose and intention. Do you guys understand that? It's huge. Well, so what? So what if we do? How does that help us understand 2020? How does that help us understand today? Well, here we go. Here's the immediate truth and the immediate application of that truth. If there's anything that we've learned about God ever since we entered into the church, it's what? That God is so good, right? And he is. We prayed about it just like 20 minutes ago. He is. And since God is good, since the creator is good, since the design is good, and since he is still active, good, good active in the world today, we can be confident that he will continue to be good through all that we go through in life. Pandemics, sufferings. But as we also engage ourselves in this good God and surrender ourselves to live out his good design, we get a glimpse of what we were created for. And that's when we get a glimpse of what the creator wishes for us to do with this gift of life that we've been given here on earth. Do you guys get that? Do you guys understand that? Through our eyes, life will always be a mystery. It will. We'll never have it all figured out. We'll never get it all figured out. And our conclusions that we come to 
will always change. You know, the conclusion that you think life is all about at 20, all of a sudden when you turn 30, life isn't what you thought at 20. Life isn't even, and then when you turn 40, life isn't what you thought at 30. And when you turn 50, life isn't what you thought at 40. Your conclusions about life will always be earthly, will always be folly, will always be dynamic and changing. You know, not to say that's wrong, but it's folly to think that that's what it is. But when we choose to live each day as our Creator intended, that is when our lives begin to operate out of His eternal purposes, which not only causes His eternal desires to reverberate through us into this world, but that obedience creates the space for us to experience His eternal character in our lives. That is how and that is why we can experience godly peace and godly hope and godly joy no matter what might be going on in this world. You guys get that? This is what it means to remember your creator. This is the teacher's conclusion of conclusions about life itself. This is why it's in the Bible. And this is what we need most in our lives today. You know, I believe the challenge for church-going Christians is not so much believing that God is good. I think we kind of all believe that God is good. We sang it enough. (laughs) We learned it enough in church to know that God is good. But the problem with Christians today and the challenge that we have in our lives today is to operate our life in His goodness to operate our lives in his goodness and to see our lives through his eyes. That's the biggest challenge I think that we have as Christians as we end 2020. Don't you think so? Right? We're so tempted to think of our lives and we reflect on what we went through. We reflect about what we're all about, but that's folly. We, the challenge that we have as Christians today is to learn to see 2020 through his eyes, to learn to see 2020 through his perspective. And that's what we need. And the reason why we struggle so much to do that and to be centered upon that is because we, we struggle so much to get rid of the first conclusion that we talked about, which is what? Which is trusting that what we see and what we experience and what we can rationally conclude, we think that's what true, what's really true. That's what we think truth is. So many theologians and pastors like myself, we still get this wrong. We still operate like that. And that's why some of us are still so messed up, you know? This is why we must be deeply rooted in Scripture. This is why we must deeply root our experiences, deeply root our thinking, deeply root our reflections in God alone and in Scripture. Because that's the design. He's the creator. He's the only person that can make sense and give us meaning through all that. Isn't that what our passage says today? Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. And what's, what's the conclusion? Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. If we continue to make ourselves and our understanding of life the center of truth, then we will always, always miss out on ultimate truth. Ultimate truth will always evade us if we continue to operate with ourselves as the center. We will always be in despair. And this might be why we've seen so many people fall away from Christ and so many people fall away from the church. Because fundamentally, 
and this is before the pandemic, you know, fundamentally, it's simply because maybe they chose to live their lives according to their own understanding of it and stopped living their lives according to what God said life should be. It, may, it might be that simple. You know, I speak to people like that every single year. You know, I run into so many people who used to be on fire for Jesus, who used to go to church and who used to be so passionate about serving the church. And I encounter them these days, and you know, every single year. And I'm always like inviting them back to Christ. I'm like, dude, come back, you know, give Christ another chance. Come back to the church. He loves you. You know, you have such a great eternal purpose. You know, God can use you so powerfully. And I'm always begging people to come back to Christ. But their responses are so similar that it's so scary. And tell me if you've never heard stuff like this before. You know, I talked to a lot of 40-year-olds, 35-year-olds, 30-year-olds, and, and this is what they always say. They say, Eddie, you know, man, I did the whole Jesus thing. I did the whole church thing when I was in my 20s, man. When I was single, I had nothing better to do with my life. I had nothing better to do on a Friday night. Man, I did the whole church thing. I did the whole, like, Bible study thing. I did the whole Jesus thing. And, I was, and it was great. Actually, it was great. I love it. But look, man, I'm married now. You know, I have kids. I got, I, got, I got a job. I got to take care of my family. I got to get on with life. And that's what they say. And you know, I know something from a totally worldly perspective. It makes complete sense. You know, doesn't it? It makes complete sense. But that's a worldly perspective of life. You'll never find a verse in the Bible that backs that kind of philosophy and approach to living. Because everything's supposed to be about Christ. You know, I see people fall away from Christ when they date. Why? Because they don't do it God's way. I see so many marriages fail. And they fail to flourish, you know, their partner to grow in Christ and to flourish in Christ simply because they've adopted worldly philosophies of marriage, worldly standards of marriage, and not God's and what God says that marriage should be. I see amazing people of faith throw it all away for things that God never said counted for eternity. I even see Christians on a weekly basis choose to live out their faith, not according to Scripture, but according to what the world's definitions of success and importance is. So often we see people living for things that God never designed us to live for. And if we continue living according to these false sets of life philosophies, then not only will we continue to live a life of despair from an eternal perspective, but we'll still take, but every single day we do that, we take one step further and further away from God. And it says, it's that simple. You know, to the point that one day you might wake up and be like, nah, I don't really need the church anymore. I did that yesterday. You know, what I did for Jesus was enough for yesterday. And that's what you say. And that's what you conclude. I think the challenge for Christians today is to continually surrender our lives or surrender ourselves as the center of truth and to make God the center, to keep God as the center and to keep our lives centered upon his truth so that we can live our lives every single day from his perspective and from his wisdom. But the $10,000 question is, well, how do we gain that, Eddie? Going back to the original question from the beginning of the sermon. How do we gain that if we don't have that today? How do we gain God's perspective? How do we stay rooted and centered in God's perspective until we die so that we can live wisely? And the answer is the person of Jesus Christ. Right? Yes, the answer is Jesus. Right? How is that possible? Well, here we go. You know, the Apostle Paul, believe it or not, quotes Ecclesiastes twice in the book of Romans, in Romans 3 and Romans 8. We're not going to read that for you because they're super long. But let me just 
summarize that up for you. This is what he says in Romans 3 and Romans 8 when he quotes Ecclesiastes. His argument, the Apostle Paul, is that the meaninglessness and the despair of life that Ecclesiastes talks about is the direct result of the fall of man and sin. That's what he concludes, okay? Sin not only demented the hearts of man in a way that we would now live as ourselves as a center instead of God, but it separated us from God so that we could no longer see our lives from his perspective because we were separated from him. But God did something about it, and this is what he also argues. God sent Jesus Christ to this earth to free us from the enslavement of our man-centric journey. That's why Jesus came. And he came to die upon the cross to reconnect us to God so that we can now be connected to him and learn to see our lives from his eyes and from his heart. But most importantly, to see our lives through his son. Right? That's huge. And he did that by dying upon the cross. The blood that Jesus shed upon that cross not only cleanses from all of our sins, but his righteousness replaced us as the sinful center with Jesus Christ so that our lives could become about him and his righteousness alone. And so Christ died and resurrected so that we could come to the same conclusion as the teacher in Ecclesiastes does, and that's this, that life and our lives can only have true meaning and purpose when we are completely in Christ alone. That's it. And that happens when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. This is what the teacher means when he says to remember your creator. This is what the teacher means when he says to fear God and to keep his commandments. This is the duty. This is the purpose. This is the design of our creator for us. And this is what makes life truly meaningful. This is what gives our lives meaning and makes our lives worth living. Do you guys get that? Christ is the only true meaning in life. There is no meaning in this life apart from Jesus. He redeemed us so that we could live in him as a center and so that we could live redemptively in all that we do. That's the conclusion. So what does that mean in light for us in light what does that mean for us in light of 2020? I have three things I want to share with you. This is what it means for us. Number 1, it means that even though we may never have all the answers to the questions of life and especially to the tragedies of life like bushfires and pandemics and suffering and injustice we can be confident that God's goodness in Christ is actively working through who? Through his people. That God's goodness is actively working through his people to bring about redemption, his redemption, in this world and all that we do. All to say, God is still good. And he's continuing to be good in all that is going on through us and through the church. Number two, it means that it is only when we choose to see everything that happened this year in 2020 in light of Christ, through the lens of the gospel and scripture, do we begin to understand what is on the heart of God, what he's doing in this world, and what he wants from us. Let's, look, let's take a look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, here we go, to offer yourselves in living obedience right? Fear God, keep his commandments. 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Here we go. Do not conform any, any longer to the pattern of this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What is this challenging us to do? It's saying we need to train our minds to think redemptively so that we can live redemptively. What does that mean? It means that we need to train our minds to keep God as a center and to anchor all of our experiences, all of our observations, all of everything that goes on within our lives in ultimate truth so that we can live out that truth redemptively into this world like we were born and designed to do. Do you guys get that? That's what it's saying. Number three, it means we can no longer be passive in our faith. We must seek after wisdom. We must study scripture. We need to be anchored in his truth. That means seeking God, especially when times are confusing, especially when times are challenging and troubling, but not necessarily with the goal of understanding everything that's going on. I mean, if that happens, that happens, and that's great if that happens. But more importantly, with the goal of obedience, to live out his commands. Why? Because when we live in obedience, we reflect his light into this world much more powerfully and accurately. What does that mean practically? It means that's when we actually bring the love of God where there is hatred. That's when we bring the hope of God when there is despair, true despair. And that's when we bring the joy of God when there is true sorrow in this world. Obedience is wisdom. Okay? Eddie, I get it. I understand it. But once again, how does that happen in my life if it's not happening today? And here we go. Let me give you three final steps and I'll close my message today. Number one, walk closely with Jesus. That's how it happens. Okay? Make him the center of your life and understanding. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 7, sums it up. And you're going to really understand this. Maybe like you never understand this one before. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Right? Isn't that what? Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job is all saying, in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do you see what these verses are saying? The first step is to surrender, to surrender what your understanding of life into the hands of God. That's what it's saying. Lean not on anything of your own understanding, but submit it to him. Isn't that what verse six says? And then what's God going to do with that? You know, and, and oh, sorry. The reason why he wants you to do that is not because you're too, you're not, it's not because you're too stupid to understand what's going on. You are smart enough to know what's going on. But understanding is not the goal here in this verse. The goal of this verse is to please the Lord and to live a, a life that is wise and to be centered upon Christ. And therefore, we surrender the greatest obstacle to that, which is our own understanding and our own perspective. And so what we're saying is, God, I want to not lean on any of that stuff because I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. I want to live a life that's surrendered to you. I want to live a life that makes your name great and as you as a center. So that's why I'm going to surrender to you so that I can please you. Because I know that when I live a life that pleases you in that way, that's what brings true peace, joy, and hope into this world. Just like Christ did on Christmas. Right? And then what does it say? God says he'll make our path straight. That's what it means. And what's that goal of that submission? Trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? That's what it is. God will, as we walk closely with Christ, as we surrender with ourselves as a center to make Jesus a center, then all of a sudden, our hearts get trained to trust in the character of God, okay? Um, 
Verse 7, which makes total sense now. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't you love it? Right? Does this verse totally make sense now? Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Number two, point other people to Jesus. You know, there are a lot of questions about life in the world today. Surely you've had so many conversations this year about what life is all about, the meaning of life, you know, all this stuff. What's up with this whole pandemic thing, yada, yada, yada. And honestly, I, I honestly think we're smart enough to give answers that will satisfy some people, right? Have you talked about, you've had some discussions where you're like, oh yeah, that makes total sense, yeah. But you want to know something? The answers that satisfy people today will not be the answers that satisfy them tomorrow. It's very simple. Because that life is like, life is like that. And so um, only our creator can give people the answers to the purpose of life and the meaning of life. And only the creator can actually give eternal hope to every situation that goes on in our lives today. And so point people to the only one that can bring true meaning, purpose, and hope to all that's going on, not only outside in the world, but especially inside their hearts. Help them to know Jesus and find Christ through faith. And especially about Christians in the church, you know, maybe you've experienced this, maybe not. Maybe you've been disappointed by some of your friends here at church because you thought that they were going to challenge you closer to Jesus, but they didn't. Maybe they were going to challenge you to love Jesus more, to follow Jesus more, but they didn't. What does that show us? Man, if there's anything that the church should be about and Christian friends should be about, it's pointing people to Jesus. So do it. Point your friends to Christ because they need Christ the most. Okay? Lastly, become a worshiper. Okay, become a worshiper. You know, many years ago, maybe like eight or nine years ago, I came down with influenza. Not the flu, but influenza, the big one. Right? I was like, out. I was floored for like four or five days. You know, things were coming out every orifice and it was terrible, right? Uh, and there was a moment that I was so sick and there was a moment that I was in such pain that I literally thought that death was around the corner. And um, I, the suffering was just off the charts. And so, you know, I did what a good pastor should do. I tried to pray, but I'll be very frank with you. You can't pray. Because all I did was complain. God, why are you like this? Why is this happening? You know? And all I did was I spent days complaining. And it gets you nowhere. But that's actually not true. You know what complaining does? When you spend days complaining, you know what it does? Complaining actually invites you deeper into despair. That's all it does. You know, you get more bitter. You know, I tried to pray, but it didn't work because I just couldn't. Right? I didn't want to pray like that. You know, so I tried to read scripture like a good pastor would. But you want to know something? When you're in that much pain, you can't read for very long. You can't concentrate. And why did, why did they print the Bible in such small letters? You know, it just doesn't work. I tried to listen to podcasts because that's, that's less effort. But you want to know something? The voices just get annoying when you're that sick. You can't concentrate for that long. So you know what I did? I sang. And you can't sing for that long because you don't have the strength nor the energy. But you know what you can do in your heart? You can sing in your heart. And it was absolutely amazing. Did I get healed? No. Did I, did I, yes, I did. You know, that's why I'm here. But did I, did I get healed as a result of singing and worshiping? No. But it brought me so close to Jesus. I felt like I had a front row seat to his presence. Did I receive any answers to life's questions? And the answer is no. But you want to know something? I got him. And that's when I knew, maybe for the first time as a Christian, or maybe the second time as a Christian, that that's really all I need. All I need is him. 
And that day literally changed my life to the point where those few days uh, gave me my first life phrase and maybe my only life phrase, and that's this. When in doubt, worship. When everything is confusing and you don't, you can't make sense of anything, the greatest thing you can do is worship. Never underestimate the power of worship. Worship brings hope. Worship brings peace. Worship brings joy because it teaches our hearts to completely focus upon the worthiness of Christ rather than the despair of our current situation. Worship trains our hearts to have faith in his goodness even in the midst of a world gone bad. That's what worship does. And we worship because even though everything in the world might tell us different, he is the one that we need the most. So become a worshiper. I think it's the wisest thing you can do with your time here on earth. As we end this year together, maybe you still have a lot of questions. I still do. But I hope that through our brief time together today, that you're convinced that what you need most is Christ. I just want to encourage you today to center your life upon Christ so that he can truly be your hope, your joy, and your peace, especially as you enter into next year. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Remember your creator. Let's pray. You know, a lot went on in 2020. It was a really tough year for a lot of us, and it still continues to be. We all have a lot of questions, but I hope you realize that the greatest need that we truly have is Jesus. That's it. That's not just a church answer. That's the truth. I just want to ask you to surrender yourselves to Jesus. Maybe you haven't to this point. Maybe there's something within your heart that's resisting. Can I just ask you, don't resist. Surrender your understanding. Commit yourself to seeking Him. And put your faith in what Christ did for you and his purposes for you rather than your own. Let's choose to live the life he created for us and not the life that we desire. Then you will know who he is and he will be enough. Let's pray.